We want to take a second to thank you for supporting Womance by listening to our podcast. One great way that you can continue supporting us, including those listens, is hitting subscribe, telling a friend, leaving a review. That stuff all really matters. Sharing it on your personal social media is another great way to spread the word about Womance. And another option for supporting us, if we may be so bold, is to recommend going to our Patreon, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us spread the word of woe. If you want to contribute more than a dollar a month, which obviously no pressure, whatever you've got, we are so appreciative to have, but we have awesome gifts for you. If you want a hand-addressed letter from Morgan and Isabeau, maybe with some special woe stickers other merch just uh, visit our patreon we are womance on patreon or is it patreon.com forward slash womance we would be very proud to call you one of our patrons Welcome, one, as well as all, to another chapter of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, part of the Womance Public Access Read-Along. My name is Morgan, and I read the odd number chapters. My name is Isabeau, and I read the even chapters. And this week, we are nearly, we are at the pin Latin word for halfway through chapter, chapter 29. Your first pandemic birthday. (laughs) It's true. When I thought. I was thinking about that At least I'm not turning 30 in a global pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) You were younger then. It was good to get practice. (laughs) It was good to get practice. You were the first birthday in lockdown. I was. You brought me that wonderful cheesecake. That's so bad. She did, just so you guys know, she did leave it outside of my door. Or did you get it delivered? No, I I dropped it off in the car um, because I think that might have been a day that I was dropping one of our friends off for chemotherapy because she started chemo in the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wow. (laughs) Bonkers. But the thing that I was thinking about... Um, is I had this image just pop through my mind uh, yesterday or today of a person in the pandemic with balloons wearing a bear suit or a dog suit and a person, it must have been a dog suit, and another person dressed as like Dorothy. And Uh they were coming up the way. And I knew immediately, I was like, "Mm, they're for Morgan. And they're trying to make her (laughs) pandemic birthday nice. And all I had was this cheesecake. And I was like, I'm going to wait till they leave. (laughs) Yeah, I had some friends do a fun little dance for me outside my window (laughs) for my birthday. (laughs) And I watched them do the dance from my car. Uh, And then I brought my own offering. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. What a time. What a time. It was a really good cheesecake. I'm glad that you liked it. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, this is chapter 29. Chapter 29. <laughs> uh, what happened in chapter 28, which you just read, Isabel? 
Uh, chapter 28, we get more of Lizzie's prejudice and pride, man. She just will not relax yeah. on this... hating Mr. Collins, even though he is a very good gardener. <laughs> no one talks about the stuff he's good at. Never talks about the stuff that he's good at, even though the book lays it out. Uh, she's constantly looking for chinks in Charlotte's armor, even though Morgan very astutely noted that... Mr. Collins and Charlotte are kind of uh, through a mirror darkly. Mr. Bennett and Mrs. Bennett. Uh, but she won't ever give either one of them the grace she gives her parents. And uh, yeah, it's just Lizzie just thinking mean thoughts to herself as though Mr. Wickham is there to uh, titter at her. But thank God she got an invitation to Lady Catherine de Berg's house for dinner. And I think that's really going to turn her around. Sure is. Definitely going to mend the error of her ways. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's uh, let's hop into chapter 29. Mr. Collins' triumph in consequence of this invitation was complete. The power of displaying the grandeur of his patroness to his wandering visitors and of letting them see her civility toward himself and his wife was exactly what he had wished for and that an opportunity of doing it should be given so soon, after such an instance of Lady Catherine's condescension, as he knew not how to admire enough. I confess, said he, that I should not have been at all surprised by her ladyship's asking us on Sunday to drink tea and spend the evening at Rosings. I rather expected, from my knowledge of her affability, that it would happen. But who could have foreseen such an attention as this? Who could have imagined <laughs> that we would receive an invitation to dine there? An invitation, moreover, including the whole party, so immediately after your arrival. I am the less surprised at what has happened, replied Sir William, from that knowledge of what the manners of the great really are, which my situation in life has allowed me to acquire. About the court, such instances of elegant breeding are not uncommon. Mm. Scarcely anything was talked of the whole day or next morning but their visit to Rosings. Mr. Collins was carefully instructing them in what they were to expect, that the sight of such rooms, so many servants, and so splendid a dinner might not wholly overpower them. When the ladies were separating for the toilette, he said to Elizabeth, do not make yourself uneasy, my dear cousin, about your apparel. Lady Catherine is far from requiring that elegance of dress in us which becomes herself and daughter. I would advise you merely to put on whatever of your clothes is superior to the rest. There is no occasion for anything more. Lady Catherine <coughs> will not think the worse of you for being simply dressed. She likes to have the distinction of rank preserved. <laughs> Cool. I'm going to feel really good about my dress clothes now, Mr. Collins. Thanks. Thanks. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, he does. While they were dressing, he came two or three times to their different doors to recommend their being quick, as Lady Catherine very much objected to be kept waiting for her dinner. Such formidable accounts of her ladyship and her manner of living quite frightened Mariah Lucas, who had been little used to company, and she looked forward to enter to her introduction at Rosings with as much apprehension as her father had done to his presentation at St. James's. As the weather was fine, they had a pleasant walk of about half a mile across the park, 
Every park has its beauty and its prospects, and Elizabeth saw much to be pleased with, though she could not be in such raptures as Mr. Collins expected the scene to inspire, and was but slightly affected by his enumeration of the windows in front of the house, and his relation of what the glazing altogether had originally cost Sir Louis de Bourgh. <clears throat> My pet peeve as a tour guide was when people asked me how much things cost. <laughs> Clearly there's a market for that information. I mean, <laughs> yeah, look it up on Zillow. It was especially <laughs> like, yeah, it was especially disheartening whenever there was, people would ask like how much a unit in the corn cob building went for um nowadays like i can understand like kind of getting a historical sense because truly we don't spend money like we used to but it's true it was still so like exhausting and i never like i'm not i couldn't keep i like had a number like a notebook with just like those numbers in it and i was like see this is like manual google thanks for bringing down the vibes When they ascended the steps to the hall, Mariah's alarm was every moment increasing, and even Sir William did not look perfectly calm. Elizabeth's courage did not fail her. She's so far up her own ass. (laughs) She is, man. She is fully up it. She had heard nothing of Lady Catherine that spoke her awful from any extraordinary talents or miraculous virtue, and the mere stateliness of money and rank she thought she could witness without trepidation. Well, let's... Listen, I'm not opposed to that sentiment, but, like, okay, don't be overawed by gentry. They fucking suck. (laughs) Like, you've nothing to lose but your chance. I'm all for the revolution. But, like... On the record, (laughs) I'm all for the revolution. (laughs) I want everyone to know, man the barricades. Nothing to lose but your chains. But also, maybe, like, don't be so shitty about Sir William and Mariah. Like, you know what? They're just, they're impressed. It's okay that they're impressed with a big fancy house. It's a whole paragraph just to point out that Lizzie's internally rolling her eyes, which I just did, to be fair. (laughs) Same. Like, this book is so good at what it does. It catches you in your own bullshit. From the entrance hall, of which Mr. Collins pointed out, with a rapturous air, the fine proportion and finished ornaments, they followed the servants through an antechamber to the room where Lady Catherine, her daughter, and Mrs. Jenkinson were sitting. Her ladyship, with great condescension, arose to receive them, and as Mr. Collins had settled it with her husband that the office of introduction should be hers, it was performed in a proper manner without any of those apologies and thanks which he would have thought necessary. In spite of having been to St. James's, Sir William was so completely awed by the grandeur surrounding him that he had but just courage enough to make a very low bow and take his seat without saying a word. And his daughter, frightened almost out of her senses, sat on the edge of her chair, not knowing which way to look. Elizabeth found herself quite equal to the scene and could observe the three ladies before her composedly. And here she can. Of course she did. <laughs> Lady Catherine was a tall, large woman. A sister <laughs> with strongly marked features, which might once have been handsome. Her air was not consolidating, nor was her manner of receiving them, such as to make her visitors forget their inferior rank. She was not rendered formidable by silence, 
but whatever she said was spoken in so authoritative a tone as marked her self-importance and brought Mr. Wickham immediately to Elizabeth's mind. I bet she and did. From, <laughs> and from the observation of the day altogether, she believed Lady Catherine to be exactly what he had represented. When, after examining the mother, in whose countenance and deportment she soon found some resemblance of Mr. Darcy, she turned her eyes on the daughter. She could almost have joined in Mariah's astonishment at her being so thin and so small. There was neither in figure nor face any likeness between the ladies. Mr. Berg was pale and sickly. Her features, though not plain, were insignificant, and she spoke very little, except in a low voice, to Mrs. Jenkinson, in whose appearance there was nothing remarkable, and who was entirely engaged in listening to what she said, and placing a screen in the proper direction before her eyes. After sitting a few minutes, they were all sent to one of the windows to admire the view, Mr. Collins attending them to point out its beauties, and Lady Catherine kindly informing them that it was much better worth looking at in the summer. The dinner was exceedingly handsome, and there were all the servants and all the articles of plate which Mr. Collins had promised, and he had likewise foretold. He took his seat at the bottom of the table by her ladyship's desire, and looked as if he felt that life could furnish nothing greater. He carved and ate and praised with delicate alacrity, and every dish was commended, first by him and then by Sir William, who is now enough recovered to echo whatever his son-in-law said, in a manner which Elizabeth wondered Lady Catherine could bear. But Lady Catherine seemed gratified by their excessive admiration and gave most gracious smiles, especially when any dish on the table proved a novelty to them. The party did not supply much conversation. Elizabeth was ready to speak whenever there was an opening, but she was seated between Charlotte and Miss de Bourgh, the former of whom was engaged in listening to Lady Catherine, and the latter said not a word to her all dinner time. Mrs. Jenkinson was briefly employed in watching how little Miss de Bourgh ate, pressing her to try some other dish and fearing she was indisposed. Maria thought speaking out of the question, and the gentlemen did nothing but eat and admire. When the ladies returned to the drawing-room, there was little to be done but to hear Lady Catherine talk, which she did without any intermission till coffee came in, delivering her opinion on every subject in so decisive a manner as proved that she was not used to have her judgment controverted. She inquired into Charlotte's domestic concerns familiarly and minutely, and gave her a great deal of advice as to the management of them all, told her how everything ought to be regulated in so small a family as hers, and instructed her as to the care of her cows and her poultry. Elizabeth found that nothing was beneath this great lady's attention, which could furnish her with an occasion of dictating to others. In the intervals of her discourse with Mrs. Collins, she addressed a variety of questions to Mariah and Elizabeth, but especially to the latter, of whose connections she knew the least, and who she observed to Mrs. Collins was a very genteel, pretty kind of girl. She asked her at different times how many sisters she had, whether they were older or younger than herself, whether any of them were likely to be married, whether they were handsome, whether they had been educated, what carriage her father kept, and had he 
what had been her mother's maiden name? Elizabeth felt all the impertinence of her questions, but answered them very composedly. Lady Catherine then observed, "'Your father's estate is entailed on Mr. Collins, I think. For your sake,' turning to Charlotte, "'I am glad of it. But otherwise I see no occasion for entailing estates from the female line. It was not necessary in Sir Louis de Bourgh's family.' Do you play and sing, Miss Bennet? A little. Oh, then, some time or other, we shall be happy to hear you. Our instrument is a capital one, probably superior to you shall try it some day. Do your sisters play and sing? One of them does. Why did you not all learn? You ought all to have learned. The Miss Webbs all play, and their father has not so good an income as yours. <laughs> Do you draw? No, not at all. What, none of you? Not one. That is very strange. But I suppose you had no opportunity. Your mother should have taken you to town every spring for the benefit of masters. <laughs> my mother would have had no objection, but my father hates London. Has your governess left you? Oh, we never had any governess. No governess. How is that possible? Five daughters brought up at home without a governess. I never heard of such a thing. Your mother must have been quite a slave to your education. Elizabeth could hardly help smiling as she assured her that had not been the case. Then who taught you? Who attended to you? Without a governess, you must have been neglected. Compared with some families, I believe we were. But such of us wished to learn, never wanted the means. We were always encouraged to read and had all the masters that were necessary. Those who chose to be idle certainly might. Ah, no doubt. But that is what a governess will prevent. And if I had known your mother, I should have advised her most strenuously to engage one. I always say that nothing is to be done in education without steady and regular instruction. <laughs> And nobody but a governess can give it. It is wonderful how many families I have been the means of supplying in that way. I am always glad to get a young person well placed out. Four nieces of Mrs. Jenkinson are most delightfully situated through my means. And it was but the other day that I recommended another young person who was merely accidentally mentioned to me, and the family are quite delighted with her. Mrs. Collins, did I tell you of Lady Metcalfe's calling yesterday to thank me? She finds Miss Pope a treasure. Lady Catherine, said she, you have given me a treasure. Are any of your younger sisters out, Miss Bennet? Yes, ma'am, all, all. What, all five at once? Very odd. And you only the second. The youngest ones. Out before the elder are married. Your sisters must be very young. Yes, my youngest is not sixteen. Perhaps she is full young to be much in company. But really, ma'am, I think it would be very hard upon younger sisters that they should not have their share of society and amusement because the elder may not have the means or inclination to marry early. The last born has as good a right to the pleasure of youth as the first, and to be kept back on such a motive. I think it would not be very likely to promote sisterly affection or delicacy of mind. Upon my word, 
said her ladyship. You give your dis opinion very decidedly for so young a person. Pray, what is your age? With three younger sisters grown up, replied Elizabeth, smiling. Your ladyship can hardly expect me to own to it. Lady Catherine seemed quite astonished at not receiving a direct answer, and Elizabeth suspected herself to be the first creature who had ever dared to trifle with so much dignified impertinence. You cannot be more than twenty, I am sure. Therefore, you need not conceal your age. I am not one in twenty. When the gentlemen had joined them, the tea was over, the card tables were placed. Lady Catherine, Sir William, and Mr. and Mrs. Collins sat down to quadrille, and Mr. Burke and as Miss de Berg chose to play at casino, the two girls had the honor of assisting Mrs. Jenkinson to make up her party. <laughs> Their table was superlatively stupid. Scarcely a syllable was uttered that did not relate to the game, except when Mrs. Jenkinson expressed her fear of Mr. Berg's being too hot or too cold, or having too much or too little light. A great deal more passed at the other table. Lady Catherine was generally speaking stating the mistakes of the three others, or relating some anecdote of herself. Mr. Collins was employed in agreeing to everything her ladyship said and thanking her for every fish he won and apologizing if he thought he won too many. Sir William did not say much. He was storing his memory with anecdotes and noble names. <laughs> when Lady Catherine and her daughter had played as long as they chose, the tables were broke up, the carriage was offered to, Mr. Col to Mrs. Collins, gratefully accepted and immediately ordered. The party then gathered round the fire to hear Lady Catherine determine what weather they were to have on the morrow. From these instructions, they were summoned by the arrival of the coach, and with many speeches of thankfulness on Mr. Collins's side and as many bows on Sir William's, they departed. As soon as they had driven from the door, Elizabeth was called on by her cousin to give her opinion of all that she had seen at Rosings, which, for Charlotte's sake, she had more, f she made more favorable than it really was. But her commendation, though costing her some trouble, could by no means satisfy Mr. Collins, and he was very soon obliged to take her ladyship's praise into his own hands. And that was our first visit to Rosings. I can see why the French started beheading the gentry. <laughs> Lady Catherine does indeed suck. Mm -hmm, she does. Also, do you think all of the gothic romance that came after this was people imagining Mrs. Jenkinson's daughters? The four that uh, were placed <laughs> in perfect yeah. situations. Yeah. Honestly, Lady Catherine has a lot in common with Jane Eyre's aunt. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I can envision all of those gothic romances basically being fan fiction of Mrs. Jenkinson's daughters. Do you think, and I'm saying this in June, the month of Pride, but do you think that Mrs. Jenkinson and Mr. Berg might be a, a, a couple? Might be gal pals? Mrs. Jenkinson seems like she has daughters. Mr. Berg's age, but I don't know. Like, not much has been said about that. Uh, but she does seem extremely solicitous and is kind of a little bit sad that Mr. Berg is playing casino, which I can only imagine is solitaire by herself. Mm -hmm. Right? She keeps looking over from her table to lonely Mr. Berg. I can see it. I'm not opposed to that. 
Yeah. Maybe it's because her daughters were taken away and placed, air quotes. Or maybe it's because they are lovers. Mm-hmm. I feel like if Catherine de Bourgh existed in the year 2023, she'd be one of those people who like was rehoming children on and calling it rehoming on a Facebook group. <laughs> like rehoming adopted children, like children that she said that she'd taken, but like then was like, I don't want to. Or like just kind of, I, I think she would just be a moderator of one of those pages. Yikes. Don't you think? Absolutely. Like <laughs> that this was is kind a of woman- the energy. <laughs> Yeah, this is uh, extreme I do good in the world energy that, like, I don't, like, I'd like to see the evidence. Like, show me the facts. Yeah, she seems to think that, like, anyone who, any woman of a certain age and a certain economic class should just be a governess. Mm -hmm. Like, she's like a little governess factory. (laughs) I mean, because, like, explicitly eliminating she wants elizabeth to become a governess so that she is not bait yeah for one unspoken but still on the page (laughs) mr darcy yeah maybe she's trying to eliminate all threats to her daughter's marital bliss she absolutely is via (laughs) governessing right like if (laughs) if miss elizabeth bennett has a job she can't possibly marry mr darcy yeah and then we get the little like off the little throwaway that um you don't have to entail an estate to the next male in line um because her husband didn't Mm -hmm. someone's got to tell mrs bennett you got to be really really rich not to entail yeah they're not rich enough to pay the crown not to entail yeah that's that's it that's the privilege of rank that well mr berg gets to inherit Good for her. So it was, like, almost progressive that she's, like, I don't see... She's, like, I'm so happy for you, Charlotte, that you get the intel, but, like, I don't see why we have to do it. But do you think it was actually a way of, like, letting Lizzie know that her daughter was going to come into money? Hmm. Yeah, because I don't actually think that Miss Catherine de Berg <laughs> is, like, going to be for the, you know, labor party. Yeah. She's definitely a Tory through and through. Yeah. I didn't really see that angle until just now when we were talking about it, which really goes to show how this book is playing 4D chess. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it demands the contextual question of me, like, is would that have been 4D chess to contemporary readers? Or would it have been regular 3D chess? Or maybe even simplified 2d chess when she cuts herself off and she says our instrument is superior to the one at Mm -hmm. let me get that quote she says it's a probably superior to and then she doesn't say anything right and so like there are a couple ways to read that one you could read that as the parsonage but if it were superior to the parsonage which it no doubt is why wouldn't you just say it if it's superior to the one at Longbourn, which it undoubtedly is. Why wouldn't she just say it? Because she doesn't seem to be pulling her punches there. So then it seems to me that she means to say that it's superior to the one at Mr. Darcy's house. That little Darcy's playing on all the time when she's not in, in Derbyshire at Pemberley. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because Mrs. Catherine de Bourgh has heard about Elizabeth and not from Mr. Collins. Yeah. 
Yeah, so do you think, like, readers of that time, like, did you pick that up when you were, like, in the moment? I didn't. Absolutely not. I picked it up on this reading. Do you think most readers, when the book was first published, would have been able to pick up on that because they were so attuned to these kinds of exchanges? I don't know. And without really knowing, because, like, this book, the novel is still so new in 1817 when this book is published. Like... Uh-huh. The the first novel in the English language published in the mid 1600s. So this is 150 years later, which by all tellings, technologically, like for the these time periods, isn't that different? Like 1658 isn't 100% that different from 1817. Yeah. Um, and so like Tom Jones being published about 40 years before this is like super long, super loquacious, like every feeling, every thought is on the page. And this this novel is so circumcept that it is distinct and different, which is why I think it's part of its what is part of its lasting power. Yeah. Is that so much is implied and so much is like in joke. And so do I know what people in 1817 could pick up on? No. I have no idea. Not really. But I think they would have been more attuned to the implications than I am. And was when I first read this text. So you think like Tom Jones was like the Dawson's Creek and then Pride and Prejudice came along and was like the OC and showed how teens actually talk. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, where, um, yeah, like the Dawson's, (laughs) Dawson's Creek is so funny. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I think Tom's Joan is Dawson's Creek plus Gilmore Girls. Everyone's always talking all their feelings oh all my the God, time. Yeah. And this is like 90210 <laughs> and the OC and other better teen dramas. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think we should um, please donate to our Patreon so that we can start working on our time machine in earnest to go back and ask someone these questions. Not only ask, but, like, you know, do some rigorous data, you know, like, get a quantitative and qualitative study going of uh, people reading the text in its own time. Yeah. And if you are a $5 and up Patreon Patreon supporter, you can make specific requests for tasks to for us to complete butterfly effect style while doing our time machine work. Remember, we're only going to go to the first uh, pub date in uh, Pride and Prejudice time. So whatever butterfly effects you want done have to be pretty specific. We won't get into the nuts and bolts of our Patreon tiers here, but we can't kill baby Hitler because we're not going to 19 whatever. We're going to the... So don't ask. <laughs> so okay? don't like, I, I get where you're coming from, but that isn't, that isn't the ask. We are uh, entering the Napoleonic era. So like whatever you want us to do in there. You know, and also like don't don't ask us to like kill anyone. Maybe someone. First of all, neither of us have the guts. That's probably true, honestly. Second of all, neither of us have the physical wherewithal or the skill set or the skill set to get in with anyone powerful. So once again, your five dollar not Patreon patrons can request us to complete one task when we get our time machine 
during the original pub date of Pride and Prejudice. And I think we should do five years post just so that we can get a more round idea. Okay, so like five years. A longitudinal study. Right, exactly. So five years post, but no murders. No murders. And also like keep it pretty like within the what like bath where are we going we're going to hertfordshire derbyshire london for sure and probably the oxbridge triangle hertfordshire derbyshire and london for sure <laughs> maybe the lakes if we can make it if we can make it there you know rocks and mountains what are men compared to these like maybe we should see them with those eyes but there won't be any trains for us to ride so it'll be horse and buggy for old Isabeau and Morgan. Yeah. And like, it's been a while since either of us have read a horse. So like. That's true. If you submit a request in the Lakes District, please mm. also submit a backup request in the south <laughs> of the continent. Thank you so much. I feel like we're going to be doing a lot of walking once we get that time machine off the ground. <sighs> Got a lot of households to cover. I mean. Can we ethically bring roller skates with us? No, we cannot. They don't have them there. We cannot. Yeah. We can't even bring bikes. What are you talking about roller skates? What, are, we would wear like really long skirts and they would just think we were incredibly fast and, and smooth. Mm, just gliding. But there are no paved roads. Mm. Mountain bikes. Also under mm. our dresses. <laughs> Obviously, we've got. <laughs> we won't kill anybody, but we will introduce massive new technologies that will upend <laughs> the system and change life in England forever. Um, yeah, patreon.com forward slash womans. Uh, anything else about the chapter? No. I mean, man, the barricades, like, <laughs> eat the rich definitely is the zeitgeist of this chapter, which is really funny because, like, how it all comes together in the end is that she does not eat the rich. No. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. No, uh, you know. Keep some of your prejudices. <laughs> um, and do not loosen your prides. <laughs> Mwah. Woli guacamole, everyone! Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womance and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womancepodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time. <laughs>